We'll continue in Revelation 21 at verse 15. And the subject of this particular presentation is the measurement, measurements, plural, of the city. So I'll read it to, to set it up. And he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, an angel. Then he goes on to talk about uh, the construction of its wall and the foundations of the wall being adorned with all kinds of precious stones. We'll get to that, but I want to focus on measuring the wall, measuring the city, the gates, and its wall. You'll recall the city, 12 by 12 by uh, 1,000, and its gates, 3 and 3 and 3 and 3, uh, each one being a pearl, and its wall, uh, which is, uh, it has 12 foundations. Now God seems to be in the habit of measuring things and weighing things. In the book of Daniel, when Belshazzar brought out the objects that were used in the temple, uh, the golden objects that were used in the temple, to have a drunken revelry and as such made a mockery out of Israel and the conquest of Israel. In the midst of his drunken revelry, the hand of a man appeared writing on the wall. This is in the book of Daniel. And uh, the writing was, Mene, Mene, Tekal, Ufasin. And it was, it was to be understood, you are weighed in the balances and have been found wanting. And then the latter part was the judgment. So there is the process of evaluation and then there's the sentencing that accompanies the conclusion. So it is a judicial matter. It's like a trial when the issues are brought forth and measured according to the existing law. And the result is rendered in the form of a verdict, innocence or guilt, 
And then the, the final stage of that three-stage process, one, the inquiry of the facts, uh, to the, uh, and together with the application of the law, number one, and number two, the issuance of a verdict, innocence or guilt, and number three, punishment or reward. This is one of the principles of Scripture associated with the name of God. One of the names of God is the word Elohim, Elohim. And it references, it's where we get the word majesty from. When we refer to God as majestic or His majesty, or indeed when we refer to any king as your majesty, we're referring to the magisterial function or the function of magistrates. It references the law. It references the application of the law to producing justice. So the conduct of Belshazzar was so deviant from anything that might be construed as righteous that all that God had reserved for Babylon, the nation, and its king, first Nebuchadnezzar and then his nephew Belshazzar, all of God's judgments fell upon Belshazzar and it engulfed Babylon. The days of Babylon's judgment and brought to and its sentencing came in the time of Belshazzar. Why, why is there a necessity then? What are we saying about judging things? Because God asserts the right to decide when, how, who have lived in a manner consistent with the will of God or alternatively have lived in a manner inconsistent with the will of God. Why is that so? Because God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And when the behaviors of mankind are such that they comport with and they intentionally intentionally align with the purposes of God, then God will bless such individuals and God will bless such nations with the favor of God because God wishes to support anything and everything in creation that reminds mankind of who God is. Even when nations do not know God, even when kings are unaware of His presence, if they behave in ways that reflect a kind of uh, natural inclination to doing the right thing, even if they don't specifically know God as God, 
God has mercy on such a nation and God has mercy on such people. When and to the contrary, men vaunt themselves up, rejecting God and asserting themselves as the only law or authority that there is, they challenge the sovereignty of God and God destroys such people. It may be the overt destruction such as in uh, the days of the flood with Noah and the world at that time and or such times as Sodom and Gomorrah. And subsequently, every nation, if it lasts long enough, will devolve into corruption when men choose not to retain God in their knowledge. This is why nations fall. This is why nations rise and this is why nations fall. It has to do with whether or not they're useful for the propagation of a vision of things that remind creation of the living God. The Roman Empire at its inception brought something to the earth called Pax Romana, Roman peace. Pirates in the Mediterranean were subdued and roads were not uh, infested with bandits. As was true in that world and in that time, everywhere in the world except the borders of the Roman Empire. Now that was useful to God in that it provided safe roads, safe sea lanes, and some relative measure of order and peace to allow for the advance of the Kingdom of God through messengers such as Paul, Peter, and others who traveled the world in those days. It was useful to God. But there came a time when it was not. In fact, there came a time when Roman emperors insisted that they were gods and persecuted the church. The judgments of God do not come immediately in such instances, but they do come inevitably. And Rome itself was destroyed by barbarian hordes. It rebooted when it was uh, when it emphasized uh, the ways of God over uh, just the paganism uh, that continued on uh, in pockets all throughout the empire. But sufficient sufficient, uh, uh, commentary on Roman history. Um, Other nations came and God allowed for their functionings for a period of time. The Spanish Empire came into the New World and one of the things about the Spanish Empire was that the cross was a 
uh, an enormously preeminent symbol. And stories such as Hernán Cortés uh, in uh, the city of Tenochtitlan throwing down the, the statue of uh, the, a particular uh, Aztec god from the high uh, ziggurat in Mexico City and shocking uh, the ancient uh, Aztecs. Uh, the, the, now, it is not to say that everything and anything the conquistadors did was right and righteous, but there were moments when God used them to overthrow the pagan human sacrificing Aztecs and to some great, less, greater or lesser degree the Mayans. And this, these things happened at the expansion of the Spanish Empire in the New World. Again, if a nation or a people exists long enough, power will corrupt. And in fact, that corrupted the Spanish Empire. And it fell. The British Empire came after that. And again, the mandate that was wrapped in the British Empire was that of bringing the, the, the message of the Christian faith, as rudimentary as it was, into uh, the world of the British Empire. But again, slavery being one of the most corrupting of influences, slavery became the, one of the primary sources of income for the British Empire. And in due course, God collapsed the British Empire. The American Empire is the latest of these. And for a long time, the gospel came out of America to the ends of the earth. But the present church has forgotten and the nation has come to despise the things of God. And the present church has forgotten who God actually is. The evidence of that is it's a, on one hand it's abuse of children and the corruption that is everywhere in it. Perhaps no place is it more grotesquely evident in the present time than in the devolution of the American church into politics. So it's the end of the American empire. It may not occur immediately, but listen, this hasn't been happening just recently. An eternal principle is that God weighs and measures nations. Now, in the weighing and measuring of nations, on the one side, he is intent on holding nations accountable to divine standards. And when nations are not 
to be held accountable, when they refuse to be held accountable, nations and individuals, they are judged to be opposed to the ways of God and the favor of God is the main thing withdrawn. So you do not live in the realm of divine favor, you live in the realm of the sweat of your brow. And so competition and violence and subterfuge, deception become ordinary, commonplace. I was noticing the other day um, deceptions like, I mean commonplace deceptions, like um, packaging food supplies uh, for sale, same size packages but a third of it is air, unrighteous weights and measures. And the argument, even even the most recent iPhone uh, has been used to push the higher end of the value and they talk about it in these articles to maximize profit and they will eliminate a lesser model to force people into the higher price range and offer less for more. Um, I think one of, the, one of the common practices is to give several versions of a thing, um, mobile phones being one of them, several versions of a thing over time and hold back features that are presently developed uh, for another iteration knowing the psychology of people that they'll buy more, they'll buy the latest if it has just some small tweaked feature that makes it distinguishable from the prior model, though it doesn't actually do anything substantial, but it's new, it's an opportunity to sell more and it's an opportunity to raise the price. So we have just generalized corruption. It's not, it's not just in the government, we have an, in, in the merchants, the producers, the manufacturers, um, and heaven help us, advertisers. You can't believe anything you see. Listen, when, when the systems collapse, it will not be because they suddenly became corrupt, it's because they're now and have long been corrupt. That's inclusive of the church, the historic church and the evangelical church. They're like moth-eaten garments and like rottenness in the bones. They've been corrupt for, for all of my lifetime and that's seven decades that I, that I know of. 
uh, once I could understand what happened in the early decades of my life and now in the older years, altogether apparent. This drift into debauchery is not a sudden swift move. God always judges matters and one of the forms of His judgment is against the wicked. And you see that here in the book of Revelation where it speaks of how outside are all abominable things. For example, when he talks about verse 26 of Revelation 21, the kings bringing their glory and honor into the nations, but there shall be by no means, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles, causes an abomination or a lie, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's why there is a final judgment to separate sheep from goats, to separate those who have been aligned to the purposes of God from those who have repulsed, pushed away, rejected the standards of God. God is righteous, He's not mocked and both individuals and nations will be judged according to their works. Some nations are judged in this life, all peoples are judged at the great judgment seat of Christ. Now that's one side of judgment. The other side of judgment, however, is the approval of God. God is not intent only on punishing the wicked or or categorizing the wicked for punishment. God is just as intent in fact more so, in approving of the righteous because because He established creation to produce a fruit, to produce a result and that result is the most precious thing to Him. And the fact that there is the formality of judgment to determine that and that such judgments are referenced in Scripture ought surprise no one. God is not mocked, do not be deceived. If you're righteous, you'll be judged as righteous and there come to be rewards associated with that. The righteous carry the glory of God, the righteous shine like the sun, forever or like the stars forever. The righteous are the dwelling place of God. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. So unsurprisingly, this people who are a city defined by gates and wall, and we've talked about those before, are measured with a golden reed, a measuring stick. The word for reed there is also the word for pen or as in a writing instrument. The word is K-A-L-A-M-O-S, kalamos and in some regards it is both a measuring stick 
and a recording instrument because there are those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No one's name ends up being written in the Lamb's Book of Life who has not been measured by a golden standard, which is of course, a golden reed is the king's standard. In many regards, it is like it is like a scepter, it is like the, the standard of the king himself. So when, you, when you're choreographed to, when you're measured as being consistent with that which he was seeking to produce from the earth, then you're first judged to be possessing of the character of God manifested in terms of His righteousness, manifested in terms of His justice, manifested in terms of His holiness, frankly manifested in terms of His glory. It's a marvelous thing. Judgment, you see, is not always of the wicked. We ought to, while we're alive, we ought to invite the judgment of God upon our lives so that we are not, we, we are able to correct the course and the deficiencies before a final judgment. Now, the, the, the judgment of those who are condemned is read from books that contain their lives. But the judgment of those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life is the judgment of a golden rod. It's a different judgment. You shall not enter into the judgment of the wicked. You'll be judged separately by a measurement. Are you… and that the point of that judgment is to declare that you are of the same kind and nature as Christ. Because what is God looking for? What was He looking for when He established the heavens and the earth? He was looking for a man in the image and likeness of Christ. This judgment is the declaration of that corporate entity comprised of many sons, properly assembled as the body of Christ, is their judgment that of the whole earth they were determined by the golden standard of Christ Himself to have been the redeemed of the earth for the purposes of God. God redeemed us from amongst mankind, formed us into a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God will have redeemed us from among all the nations of the earth to be a people for both His possession and His habitation and such people are going to be declared 
by a golden standard to have been the product of the earth that God reaps at the end of the millennium. At that time, no wickedness, no person who is un, un, uh, uh, is non-standard will be allowed to be a participant in this that is called the great city, which is actually a person. That's why Paul said, it is important that after I preach the, the truth that I live by the standard of the truth lest I myself become a castaway. The Son is the radiance of His Father's glory and the exact representation of His Father's being. The term used in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 to define this Son who is in, in image and likeness like the Father is the term character, C-H-A-R-A-K-T-U-R, character. And it means that the imagery is that of a mold into which metal is poured to be stamped with the image of the emperor or the leader of that nation or city. If the metal is not refined, it will crack under the pressure. Even if it's gold, if it's not pure gold, when stamped it will crack and that fact will notify everyone that it is not pure gold, it's a counterfeit coin, it's not spendable currency to affect transfer from the world into the kingdom. What is being done now at the end of the millennium, what is being done now in the purgation of persons, freeing them from the dross of any form of corruption, the point and purpose of obedience through suffering is that this is the refiner's fire. To use another analogy, this is the launderer's soap. This is what makes pure, this is what makes clean. The outcome of that eventually will be that it is judged by a golden standard to have met all of the requirements that God set forth before the foundations of the world to have a people for His own possession and the declaration that they are will be eternally established by the record in the Lamb's Book of Life of the measurements of a golden rod, a golden reed. Yes, of course, the Book of Revelation is the summation of all the great themes of Scripture and to try to understand the book without reference to all of the scriptures that speak to these issues is usually results in the kind of conjecture, happenstance, 
quasi-logic and appeals to human consensus that characterizes presently most of our understanding of the book of Revelation. I think God is bringing us back to golden standards in every way. I'm Sam Solon. We'll look at what is found when the measurement of the golden standard has been applied. We'll look at the character of what results from God's point of view. We'll continue our discussions. I'll see you then. Bye now.